Go ahead and take your Bibles uh, out, if you would, and turn to John chapter 11. Uh, let me officially say good morning to all gathered here, those that joined us online, even those that will be watching and listening from South Wilson this morning. want to welcome all who are here to worship with us this morning. Uh, I hope you've had a, a good morning so far, and I hope you have a great day. And uh, really, as I get started, I probably need to go ahead and do this, recognize that this is an interesting day, right? It is, all right? First of all, uh, this is the last message that I'm preaching to you as your pastor, and so that makes it an interesting day. Um, but it's also an interesting day because since I'm retiring from ministry and I'm going to stay here, I- I'm not really saying goodbye, so I'm going to be around, so that makes it an even more interesting day, right? Uh, let's go ahead and just say that right up front. So here's what happened. I knew that would be the case this morning, and so I, I was faced this week with a decision. I-, I was thinking, what is it that I share on this Sunday morning, which is the last Sunday that I'm preaching as your pastor, what I do, all right? And so I thought, what what I do? I-? And I realized this. I said, here's the truth. A few weeks ago, when I talked about my situation and my resignation, I said, that's all I really need to say about me leaving. That's all that's really important. I, I don't need to say any more about that. So all I want to do with you this morning is do the same thing I've really done for the last 18 years. I want to preach the word of God to you. Is that all right? That we're going to look today and we're going to go to our next stop on our summer vacation that we've been doing. And we're going to look there because what we're going to do is we're going to see a place where God has some very important words for us. And yes, I can speak a little bit into our situation today, but more importantly, what we're going to look at in God's Word is going to speak to you in your everyday life, because I will guarantee you at some point in time, you're going to need to hear the words of John chapter 11 and even into verse 12. So where are we visiting today? Well, we're going to visit a place called Bethany. Now, many important things happen in Bethany, yet Bethany doesn't get much publicity. I mean, it's not like Bethlehem that has its own song, you know, Oh, little town of Bethany, outside of Jerusalem. It don't have a, that doesn't get a ring to you? I mean, does that not sound like a hit? I mean, I think it does, really, but it doesn't have its own song. But so many great things happen at Bethany. We're going to see today that this is a site of one of the greatest miracles that have ever been witnessed. Now, but before we get to Bethany, though, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start by looking at the preparation to go to Bethany because some of the most important things we will learn are seen before we actually get there. Let's start this vacation visit by looking at John 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, here we see that Jesus is with his disciples when he gets word that Lazarus, who lived in Bethany, was sick. And as we read this in context, it appears very clear uh, by this word coming to Jesus as it did that people saw Lazarus' illness as very uh, serious. In other words, you know, if Lazarus had just had the sniffles, they're not going to come to Jesus and say, you know, Jesus, Lazarus has the sniffles. Will you come and wipe his nose? I mean, that's not what this was all about, right? This was about they understood that something was very serious going on with Lazarus. He was at the point of death. And because Jesus had healed others in the past, they knew that their best hope was to come to Jesus and get help. Now, what I want to concentrate on for a moment, though, is Jesus' response. Did you notice what Jesus said? Look again in verse 4. It says, this illness does not lead to death. 
It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It is if Jesus looked at those present when the word came and he says this, he says, just be calm, just be calm. Everything's going to be okay. I have things under control. There is a purpose in what is going on here. Now, I don't know how you respond to Jesus' reaction, but let's make note of this, all right? That God is at work even in our difficulties. You see, what Jesus made very clear here is that God was working in Lazarus' illness. It was not without purpose. Jesus made it clear that whatever was going on with Lazarus, that God was going to be glorified through it. Now, at this point, no one but Jesus knew what was going to happen, but Jesus was trying to get his disciples and others to trust in God, to trust that God had a plan and to trust that God was at work. Now, we need to hear these words of Jesus for our own lives because what do we do when difficulties come in our lives? Think about it. What do we do? When a difficult moment comes in our lives, what, what, what do we do? Well, we panic, do we not? We worry. We question. We get mad. We allow all kinds of negative things to enter into our lives. I mean, our minds go crazy and our spirits get unsettled. Jesus would say the same thing to us that he said in, his, in, in, in that day. He would say, don't worry, God is at work. What is happening is happening for the glory of God. Now, here's the problem that we have, all right? We want everything in life to be easy, and we want everything in life to be about us, right? Shake your head this way, all right? Because I want you to be honest on my last day, right? And so those who are honest are going to say, yep, that's me, Brother Scott, all right? We, we want everything in life to go easy, and I want everything to be about me. That's who we are. This is the issue with, that's, here's the issue with that kind of thinking is that we live in a sin-marred world, so as a consequence, there are natural difficulties that come as a result of sin. And in case you look at your life and say, well, I don't think I deserve suffering, I'm going to, to remind you this morning that no matter who you are, there is sin in your life, and because of that, you deserve suffering. <laughs> uh, way to pick you up this morning, right, on my last Sunday. I just want to remind you of that, all right? That's it. We deserve it, all right? But the, the more important issue we need to address is the fact that this world does not center around you or me or any person. You see, God is the one who should be the center of all things. I, I should really say this. God is the center of all things. We need to just recognize it, right? Jesus understood in the moment that those with him were only looking at things from an earthly perspective, and he was trying to point them beyond the earthly to the heavenly perspective and help them understand something, that even from an earthly perspective, it's hard to see what's going on. From a heavenly perspective, God is at work in all things, that God has a plan that we only see a part of, but if we trust him, we will see that in all circumstances, he will be glorified. Think about the, in our midst for a moment, the real life example of Luke and Nicole with the unexpected birth of crew while they were on vacation. See, it's easy for us to look at that situation and question God about all that happened to them. We might want to ask God, why them? God, why at this time? We know the circumstances of crew's birth brought difficulty and hardship to their lives. And so we want to question God. God, why did you let that happen? But can I say something that Luke and Nicole would confirm this morning? And I know that because I talked with Luke this morning. I said, I want to share this. Is it okay? What would you say? Well, here's what I know that they would confirm this morning. That because of the difficulties they've faced, they have been reminded of the goodness of God. Okay. 
The way that God has provided the things that have happened through this situation have clearly reminded them and pointed them to God. As their friends, we didn't and don't want them to have difficulty. I'm sure if you'd asked them in a moment, they would have said, I mean, we don't want this difficulty in our life. But they were able to see, again, because of that difficulty, God do some great things. He has done them and he has gotten glory and praise. You see, life may have been easier a different way, but God's provision would have been more easily ignored had Crew's birth happened normally. They would even go as far this morning to say this, all right, because this was the words of Luke. They wouldn't want to go back and do anything at this point differently because all of the things that they saw God do, they can now give God glory in a way they would not have been able to do otherwise. You see, what I want us to do this morning in light of our context in this text is to be reminded that God is at work in all things. We are familiar with Romans 8, 28, are we not? That reminds us that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Again, that is a promise to those who love God. We can also even know this, if God specifically, think about this, if God specifically causes a hardship in your life, there is a purpose behind that. And I know that because in Hosea 6, 1, it says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. That is a reminder, folks, this morning, that if God specifically brings us a difficulty, it is truly so he can work good in our lives. You need to take comfort in that. Think about it, that no matter what difficulty you are facing, you can be reassured that God is at work, right? Th think even in terms of the church right now. Some of you may look and say, you know what? A change of senior pastor is a moment of difficulty. Well, let me assure you of this, that God is at work, okay? The last time this church changed senior pastors, I remember very clearly, all right, it was a time of great difficulty, was it not? Some of you that were here. Amen, right? Y'all know that, right? But because and through that, what did God do? God showed up and God did amazing things to not only provide for this church, to do great things. And in the end, who gets the glory for that? God, right? Because he says, I've got it under control. Let me assure you of something right now. Even in our current time of transition, God is in control. He is at work. And if you, listen, if you trust him and remain faithful to him, I have no doubt that God will do something amazing and the church will be able to say this, that God is good. Thank you. All right, there you go. Which really leads me to the next thing that you need to see is this, that God's timing is always perfect. I'm sure that as the word about Lazarus came to Jesus, that those with him had the expectations that Jesus would say, well, let's hurry so I can heal Lazarus. Or maybe Jesus would say something like, you know, I, I don't even need to go. I'm going to speak the word. Lazarus is healed. Nothing to worry about. All right. He's all good. You know, don't, don't, don't worry. It, it's, it's all taken care of. Okay. Now, whichever, here's what I know they expected. They expected Jesus to say or do something immediately. All right? I mean, Jesus loves Lazarus. He was close to the family, so since Jesus helped others, surely he would even more quickly go to help Lazarus. But what does the text say next? Look back at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus is ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. You see, Jesus gets word that his good friend is sick, and his immediate reaction is, ah, let's just stay here for a couple more days. Let's just hang out for a little more days. We want to look at his reaction, and we want to shake our heads. We want to ask, what is he doing? 
We want to get infuriated and say, how can he just stay put when his friend is sick? That's us, and let's not pretend it's not. I know it is. Because when something is going on in our lives and we pray to God for things to get better or pray for specific things to happen, we pray wanting God to move before we even say amen. Amen, right. We know that's right. I'm not wrong, am I? No, okay. Because of this attitude, when one day passes or two days passes, maybe even a week or a month goes by and God hasn't seemed to answer our prayers, we begin to question God. At minimum, we get impatient with God or upset at God. We not only want God to do everything we want the way we want, but we want him to do it when we want him to do it, which is right now. That's right, okay? But God doesn't work that way. And this text reminds us that, God, that sometimes God will delay, you ready? Hear me. That sometimes God will delay until the time is right. Jesus waited two days and then said, Let's, uh, let us go. Now it's time because he knew the time for him to act had come. Now, we all know the importance of timing, don't we? Y'all know the importance of timing? Let's think about this, okay? Uh, if you're going to grill a steak, if you're going to cook that steak, you know if you cook it too short, it's going to be raw, and that's gross, right? Except for some people that eat theirs rare. I cannot do that. I'm sorry, all right? If it's mooing, I don't want to eat it, Right? But you know, if you undercook it, it's bad, right? But you also know if you overcook it, what happens? I mean, you cook all the taste and the flavor out of it, right? It's a tough, dry, nasty steak, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Or if steak's not your thing, think about it if you're baking a cake. I mean, if you bake the cake too short, you get gooey, dewy, uh, gooey, doughy cake, not dewy. Doughy. You get doughy cake, right? You get that old nasty doughy cake, right? And if you cook it too long, you get, again, hard, dry, burnt cake. You don't want that either, right? Now, here's what we know. Timing is important. And when it comes to cooking, we can have a cookbook that tells us the exact time to cook something so we know how long we're going to have to wait to experience the perfect meal or dessert, right? Unfortunately, when it comes to the work of God, we don't have a book that tells us exactly how long it's going to take for God's work to be complete in our situation. But here's what we can do is trust. We can trust that God's timing is always perfect, that he knows when to act and when to wait, when to let things cook a little longer, so to speak, right? Looking back in my life, I can say this, that God has proven to me time and time again that his time is right. In fact, I remember years ago when God took our family to Glasgow for a short stay, I didn't really understand what God was doing at the time. In a way, it didn't seem like good timing to me. I mean, we'd really actually just built a new home, which we thought was our forever home. Things was going great at the church I was pastoring at the time. It it didn't make sense. But I knew that God was doing something. I just felt it in my spirit. And subsequently, I was contacted by a couple of different churches wanting to talk to me about being their pastor. And so through that process, God moved us to Glasgow. And after getting there and seeing many different things that happened, it became very clear that God was working out a perfect plan and that his timing was perfect. I realize that looking back, like now, there'll be probably some of those who are asking right now, Brother why are you leaving now? Maybe even wondering, is the timing good? But what I know is in some ways we would say in our minds, the timing is bad, but we must trust this, that God's timing is perfect. In fact, with these first two points today, I want you to be able to rest in the goodness of God, no matter what you're facing. You can be assured that he is working, and you can be assured that his timing is perfect. 
whether that is in the circumstances of your life in particular or whether it is in regards to the church, you can rest in the goodness of God. He is at work and he knows what is best. Trust him, all right? You can trust the goodness. You can trust the timing of God. In fact, as we look back here in John 11, the goodness and the timing of Jesus come into question. In verse 11, as Jesus makes it to Bethany, he is met by one of Lazarus' sisters, Martha, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, no doubt there's part of that statement that is one of faith, but the other part is one of questioning Jesus. Martha believed that Jesus could have killed her brother, but as if she is saying, well, why didn't you get here sooner? I mean, she knew that Jesus could have arrived sooner than he did, and she was wondering what had taken him so long. She was questioning Jesus' goodness and his timing. Then a little later, after some people had seen Jesus cry, and they stated that Jesus obviously loved Lazarus, that they then said this in verse 37, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Now, whether this is a question of his goodness or of his power, it doesn't matter. What is clear is they were questioning God. It may have been a question of could he, or maybe really a question of why didn't he help? But getting back to the fact that God's work in our difficulties and that God's timing is perfect, this is one of those cases when we get to see exactly what God was up to. When we are able to look back at our difficulties and see how God works things out, it becomes easier for us to say that God is good and God's timing is perfect. It's when we fail to see all that God is doing that it becomes harder to trust. But in this case of Lazarus, we clearly see what God is up to. As Jesus is here in Bethany at the graveside of Lazarus, we see this encounter, beginning back in verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. All right, now, this event shouldn't probably be funny at all, right? I mean, it's a death. We're at a tomb. It shouldn't be funny at all, but I'll be honest with you, I can't help but laugh just a little bit. When Jesus says, take away the stone, and Martha tries to prevent him, prevent him from doing that because she makes it clear that by this time, Lazarus' body would have ended been the tomb long enough that it had been decomposing to the point that it would have been stinking. In other words, by now, Lazarus was good and dead, all right? And so Martha says, don't open it, Lord. It's going to stink in there, right? I can't help but laugh just a little bit, all right? Now, And so maybe this doesn't remind you of anything, but if you go back a few weeks now to the Valley of Dry Bones, as Ezekiel was led around the valley where those bones laid, more than just the fact that there were bones everywhere, the descriptions of those bones were, do you remember? They were very dry, all right? In other words, those bones had been there for a while. There was no life at all. Those bones were extremely dead, right? Right? This is a similar situation here in John 11. It is not just that Lazarus at this point has died. He's at the point of decomposition. Maybe this observation was needed to to, to make clear the desperateness of the situation because Jesus had brought at least another back to life. In Mark 5, we see him bring life back to Jairus' daughter, but that was such a quick turn of events that some may have said, well, she must not have really been dead. All right, she just appeared to be dead. All right, but not true here with Lazarus. Why? They couldn't say that because indeed he was dead, dead. He'd been in the tomb long enough. Again, decomposition had sunk in and and stinking had already began in his life. So this is a situation where it's hopeless, right? Let's pause though and remember God has a plan, right? 
If we went back to verse 4, we can remember that Jesus said what was happening, and what was happening was that the Son of Man may be glorified. Then here in verse 40, Jesus says this, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the what? Glory of God. You see, God was working in this situation, and he needed the circumstances to be just right in order for the people to see fully the glory of God. Now, maybe you don't want to think about this, but maybe God hasn't worked in your life yet because God is waiting for the circumstances to get bad enough so that only he would get the glory. It, again, another encouraging moment for you this morning on my last sermon, right? Right? Think about it. Things may still need to get worse in your life before God acts. You probably don't take a lot of comfort in that, but honestly, that might be the case. Maybe God is simply waiting because the time is not right for him to work. If things change right now, you might take the glory. You might think you've solved the problem. Maybe God is waiting until the only answer you have in this situation is only God could resolve this circumstance. The only thing that I can explain this is that God, God worked in an amazing way. That's what God did here in Bethany because he wanted to make a clear point. Now, what is the point is this, that God is the one who can bring life from death. You see, before Jesus headed to Bethany, he made an important statement to his disciples in verse 14 and 15. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. See, when Jesus stated that Lazarus had died and that he was glad he was not there, we are stunned just a little bit. However, it's important that we know that Jesus said he was glad for the sake of his disciples. Little reminder here, you ready? God has a big picture in mind, not just individual lives. Okay. From the point of view of Lazarus, we may not see Jesus' delay as a good thing. But Jesus said from a different perspective, it was a good thing for the disciples, and ultimately, it would be a good thing for many others. I'll even tell you this, because God recorded this for us to read, that it is even, it was a good thing for us. All right, shake your head this way, yes. See, Jesus said that he wanted his disciples to believe, and what was happening was going to help them and us believe. But what does God want believed? You see, when Jesus arrived in Bethany, his encounter with Lazarus' sister really helps us see what God wants us to know. When Martha told Jesus that if he'd been there, Lazarus would not have died, Jesus said this to her, your brother will rise again. Martha responded to that statement with at least a partial correct theological answer. She knew that he would rise again in the resurrection. At least she believed that there was a resurrection to come as some people deny that. The Sadducees in Jesus' day did not believe in a resurrection, but Jesus pointed Martha and us as something very important when he said these words in verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, what Jesus was wanting his disciples to believe and what he wanted Martha and Mary to believe and what he wants us to believe is to believe in him. That Jesus himself was and is the resurrection. That he is the one who can bring life from death. 
You see, Jesus allowed Lazarus to die because he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead to prove who he was. In fact, before he raised Lazarus, Jesus prayed to the Father so that others could hear for the specific purpose of opening the eyes to people to who he was. This is how he stated it in verse 42. Jesus says, I knew that you, that being God the Father who he was praying to, always heard me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And there is the key. What did he want the disciples to believe? What did he want Mary and Martha to believe? What did he want the crowd to believe? What does he want us to believe? He wanted us to believe that God had sent him. And sent him for what? Words shared earlier in John, these most famous words that I must share on my last Sunday as your pastor, where it says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus wanted the people to believe that God had sent him in order to save the world, to save us, listen, to save us from the death caused by sin. You see, after sharing these words in John 11, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave. And of course, he came out of that grave alive and well. Lazarus' body, which moments earlier was stinking from decay, now walked out alive and well. Glory to God. Amen, right? Here's what I believe. If I had probably shared it even better this morning, we would have probably all shouted hallelujah. All right? I I should have set that up a little better, I know. Kim was telling me this week in vacation Bible school, she was sharing the story about Jesus resurrected. When she got done talking about Jesus resurrected, the kindergartners broke out and started clapping. They were excited. Yay! Oh, that we would not lose the joy of knowing what Jesus has done by coming back from the grave. Somehow we get old and we lose the excitement. We lose the joy of what Jesus can do and what he has done, that he is resurrected and that he can give us life. You see, Lazarus coming out of that tomb alive and well is a moment that should spark praise and glory to God. You see, but as we continue to consider what happened here with Lazarus, let's be reminded that God is the one who can bring life from death. I've seen God do this many times in many ways. I would say that there are times that I have seen God restore life to a body that was dying. I've seen him almost do miracles physically. I've seen that happen. I've seen God bring life to marriages that were dying. I've seen God bring life to people who are dying because of addiction. I've seen many times in many ways God bring life to people in situations that were dead. But let's remember that at one time or another, every one of us has been dead because of sin. Some of you right now might be in that situation. But the Bible proclaims that all of us at one time were dead spiritually because of sin. And because of that, we did not deserve heaven. We deserved eternal death. We didn't deserve eternal life. But Jesus is the one who rescued us. And when we see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, it is to let us know that Jesus has the power over death and it is to point us to even something greater, that the death that Jesus was going to suffer and the resurrection that he would experience. And by Jesus coming and dying in our place and himself resurrecting to prove he could forgive sin and give life, we ultimately have the possibility of having eternal life, amen? Jesus, listen, doing that, he said here in verse 25 here, verse 25 in John 11, he said, though you die, you may live. 
In other words, you might experience what on this earth we call death, but when you die in Christ, you live eternal life in heaven. That is what Jesus offers and what happened with Lazarus with Jesus making it known who he was, making it known that he has the power of life and death. And he wanted the disciples to know and believe this. Jesus wants us to know and to believe this truth. Now, as we look at this event in Jesus' life, we think surely the response of all those who saw what happening was that they would believe, right? If you're there, I'm gonna believe. I don't know how many of y'all follow our, our weekly devotions, our daily devotions, but if you read my devotion this week, you'll know the case of this, that not everyone believed. Beginning back in verse 45, we see that many did believe, but not everyone. Some wondered, in fact, what to do with Jesus. And what some began to do from that moment on was actually to seek to get rid of Jesus. You see, for them, instead of seeing the life Jesus offered, they saw the power that they would lose. And they were actually threatened by the one who could bring life from death. Really, it begs us to answer the question this morning, what is our response to Jesus? What is our response to him? What is our response to this one who is working even in our difficulties? What is our response to this one whose timing is always perfect? What is our response to this one who can bring life from death? Let me tell you what our response should be. Our response should be to give the Lord our loving devotion. In the next chapter in John, we read this. It said, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, folks, it makes sense that after what Jesus had done for them, that Lazarus and his sisters want to thank him, right? Does that make sense? They, they must have been Baptists, right? Because they had him over to eat, all right? But just before the Passover, again, they had this dinner to express their thanks for him. But Mary takes it a step further. She anointed Jesus' feet with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, I love the detail that says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Because what's really happening there is a room was filled with the smell of Mary's love for Jesus. This would be contrasted to Judas, who protests what she does because the ointment was described was about a year's worth of wages. And Judas protests, giving the reason that the ointment should have been sold and given to the poor. The text, though, lets us know that his real reasoning was this, that he kept the money bag and he wanted the money put there so that he could help himself to a little bit, Right? So we see a contrast between one who responds correctly to Jesus by giving him love and devotion and one who simply was self-centered and really doesn't care about Jesus. A similar incident in Luke 7 can help us know what makes the difference. In Luke 7, we see another lady anoint Jesus' feet, but this ointment came with her tears. Listen to Jesus' response to this lady and the criticism she received. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered her house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But who is forgiven little loves 
little. See, Jesus recognized that our response to him comes from our recognition of our need from him and our recognition and acceptance of what he has done for us. You see, when Mary anointed Jesus in John 11, she was really preparing him for his death, his death that would pay for our sins. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus may have experienced a tremendous raising of Lazarus, but the most important resurrection was still to come, the resurrection of Jesus, which gives us all hope. And what God is wanting to know from us is, will we respond to him by, by love? Will we will respond to him by giving our love to Jesus. You see, he deserves all that we can give him. He deserves our greatest devotion. He deserves all that we can give to him. Our devotion, all right, will most likely be directed to the amount with which we have recognized what he has done for us. We need to know today that there's only one who can bring life from death, and that is Jesus. And so the question, you, that, 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 will you follow him with your life, or this morning, will you continue to be self-centered? You see, I hope in the years that I've served Valley Creek as pastor that one thing has been made very clear, that Jesus is our hope, and he is worthy of our all. Today, as I close this message, I hope that you understand that Jesus is your hope, and that Jesus deserves your loving devotion. You understand that this morning? I got news for you. The last several weeks, people have been so kind to me. They've said great words, thanked me for the years of ministry, for 18 years that I poured. But can I say something to you? I do not deserve your devotion. Can I say that one more time? I do not deserve your devotion. There is only one that deserves your devotion, and his name is Jesus. He has died for you today. And my question is, do you love him in light of that? Some of you here today know Jesus has died for you. You've given your life to him. Let me ask you, has it become so common to you that you've stopped loving him and you've stopped serving him? If so, my encouragement to you today is this. Be reminded of how much he did for you and serve him with that love. Because he deserves your all. Every bit of it. Now, some of you this morning, you may have never given your life to Jesus. Can I encourage you with something today? Give your life to him because he loves you more than any other. I didn't die for you. Jesus did. And Jesus deserves your all. He loves you this morning. And keep in mind, if he can raise Lazarus from the dead, if he can raise himself from the dead... He can take care of every one of your needs. And he can be trusted because he's good. And you can trust his timing. And you can even know today that he can bring life from death. So even if right now you got a situation in your life, you say, it's hopeless. It's, it's beyond help. It is dead. i got good news for you. There's one who can still bring life. Some of you this morning may need to come. In prayer, trusting your difficulties to him. Saying, God, I know you are at work. Help me to trust. Some need to come this morning to God in prayer, trusting his timing. You may need to come and say, God, help me to be patient as I wait for you, Lord. Because I wanted you to work yesterday. God, help me to trust. Some may need to come saying, God, I, I, I need life. I'm dead. My soul is dead because of sin, and I, I need you, Lord, 
Maybe you need to come and open your heart to Jesus and say, Lord, come in, take control, I'm yours. Let this be the day that you give your life to Jesus, the one who loves you, the one who deserves your devotion. Whatever that need is, I would just say to you this morning, would you come to him? I have the privilege this morning as your pastor, one more time to give an invitation. I've done it every service for 18 years. I'm gonna do it this morning because I don't know what your need is. But the altar is open and there's a God that's ready to meet you here. If you can't kneel at this altar, I got good news for you. God can meet you in that chair right where you're sitting. You can make that an altar right where you are. You can bow right there and say, God, I need you in this moment. And say, Lord, I'm trusting you with my difficult circumstances. I know you've got it under control. I believe that, Lord. I'm going to trust in you. I'm I'm trusting in your goodness. I'm I'm trusting in your timing this morning, Father. Give it to him this morning, will you? Because he's a God who loves you. But for some of you this morning, maybe you need to come because, again, you've never experienced eternal life. You're, you're still dead in your sin. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you. You've never trusted him as your Savior. Let me remind you, religion will never save you. Only Jesus can. If you've never given your life to him, would you come this morning and let him bring life to your dead soul? Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father, as we come, we do thank you this morning for your goodness. We thank you for, again, your word that is so rich. Your word that can never be exhausted. Your word that helps us see your goodness in our life. Your word that points us to you. And this morning as we come to this invitation, my prayer would be that in this moment we'd look to you. And we would love you as you deserve. And I don't know fully what all that means for those who are gathered here this morning, but I pray, Father, that you'll speak. Again, I have no doubt, God, that there are some that this morning they came with a burden and they came hurting and they came carrying a load that they were having a hard time handling. So, Father, I pray this morning that they would be reminded or they've been reminded, God, that you're good, that you're working in every difficulty in their life that even your timing is perfect, that you'll act when it's just right. But Father, I hope they've been reminded they can trust you. And in these moments today, I pray that they will come this altar in prayer or at their seat and give their burden to you, Father. And let your mercy and let your grace be poured upon them. And Father, that burden that they brought in, that it's lifted. And Father, at least now they're walking in peace with you, knowing again, God, that you're good. But then, dear Father, there's others today that, again, that my heart is greatest burden for is those who've never opened their heart to you, never received Jesus. I pray today would be the day that they would truly open their heart to you, invite you in, give you control, and begin to live a life devoted fully to you. Because, again, you are worthy of our devotion. So speak during this invitation. You move in a mighty way. Let your spirit have free reign, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.